Welcome to Beware of Spoilers. I am Adam. Uh, with me today is special guest Peter. Hello. Making his return for the first time since 2018, I believe. It's been a very long time. Yes. Um, because I don't think there's anyone I know who quite knows Dune to the degree that he does. Because um, you read the books. I did too, but I listened to them as an audio book. And one of the... I, I, I know it's probably come out wrong, but like one of the downsides of the audiobook is that I can do other things while I'm doing it, and like it distracts me, so there are things that I definitely miss. Um, but then again, during like actual movies, I get distracted and miss things. Like When I saw Dune in the theater the other day, I somehow missed that they mentioned the blue eyes thing. Um, yeah, I guess because it's during that long, there's like two long exposition scenes. Yeah, it's about he's... how the Fremen work, and it's like... Where he's basically just, this. he's listening to a book on tape, pretty much. Yeah, basically. About Dune. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, uh, the thing is, too, it's like, I think part of it was I tuned out because, like, oh, I know all of this already. Like, <laughs> I, 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 like I don't need to listen to this. And at the end, I'm like, what the fuck? They didn't reference that. <laughs> See, I'm the opposite, where I'm trying to listen to everything. And I'm like, I'm making sure they're getting every fact correct. Uh, <laughs> like, okay. did, checking did things off wrong? in my head. Um, no, I don't think so. No, at least I'm sure they did, but nothing glaringly. Um, I haven't I seen. I haven't seen any articles that are like Dune fucked up. Like I haven't seen that yet. Um, I've seen. Uh, I saw an article from Inverse that was like, "What the Dune post credit scene means for a sequel," and I'm like, "I didn't stay. Like, was there?" And then I looked up, like, there wasn't. And then I watched on HBO Max, and there wasn't. And I was like, "What the fuck are they talking about?" Okay, yeah. And it's like. The article's just like, there was none, so you don't know when the sequel's coming. Like, okay, great, thanks. Yeah, I just assumed there wouldn't be a post credit scene. Yeah, it's like... I don't know what they would have done, even. I don't think you could have. And I think the post credit scene really specifically works for a comic book movie, because it's meant to match the layout of a comic book, where, like, the last page of a comic book is always, like, the thing that you're going to see that's going to make you want to go next month and buy the comic book. Where it's like, you know, when Iron Man ends and you have that thing where it's like we're building the Avengers, it's like that's going to get us to go see the next one. Um, yeah. Dune, the movie itself, is that because it's a self-contained movie in the style of, I don't know, like Lawrence of Arabia or anything like that. Yeah, I guess they could have done a surprise, like, show who's cast in another character or something. That's the only thing I could think of them doing, but that they could, it wouldn't have been I necessary. Think... No, they could have done the recovery of Duncan's body, maybe. Oh, yeah. But I uh, think even that, they do um, some weird, like, just tissue collection. I think they just take, like, a punch out. Well, even if they did that, they could have done that even. if they Oh, yeah. Because like, that would have been um, an interesting way to do it. Um, before we dive too deeply into the movie, how you read all of Frank Herbert's books. Yes, I've read the main six Dune books. And I've also read his collection of short stories, which has okay. a Dune short story. Okay. Did So you didn't read Hunters or Sandworms? I haven't. Um, I don't I even know what they're the about. Wikip- I read the Wikipedia pages about them last night because uh, I was curious because I got through Chapter House and I was curious about how they ended it off and like what they were going to do that was going to be like, what, where did they go from there? Yeah. Um, do you want to hear what happens? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess so. I before you say that though, I match. I kind of like how Chapter House ends, even though it kind of ends, it ends open ended, but I right. think it's a fine ending. 
like like it's too... fitting kind of because it's like yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of like that battle cycle after, like this all happened before this all happened again it's kind of like an endless cycle of you know people are going to continue to use religion to be shitty to each other all throughout everything that happens so it's like if it ends open ended that makes sense because it's just going to happen again like yeah. we're we're just going to keep completing this cycle of nonsense yeah and you have the end of the honored matres or matres I'm actually not sure to pronounce that one. Where they uh, unite they with it matres in the okay matres or the whores as they're called in the yeah. book. Yeah, I'm sure, I wonder if they get that far in the movies if they'll still call them the whores. It's like that, and it's like I think my other favorite thing is like no matter how far out you get, it's always like the fish will like oh those are fucking weird. Like no matter where it is, it's like oh, yeah, everyone just accepts how gross like how weird they are as a group. <laughs> it's like it, it's so weird, but it's just so funny. It's like three thousand years elapsed, and they're like oh they're they're still gross. Yeah, <laughs> like. Um, so, so what happens is, um, they introduce those two characters who, you know, were completely, like, unrelated to anything, and it's like, who are these two people? Um, I, I, I keep wanting to say Rick and Morty, but that's not their names. Like, oh, is it the Watcher people that are, like, in yeah. Duncan's dreams? Yes. Or visions? Yeah. They are descendants of the Machine Empire. From the Butlerian Jihad? Yes. So uh, they want to come back and reestablish the Machine Empire. And that's what those last two books are about. Oh, wow. So what happens is uh, they resurrect everyone they can, whose name has a meaningful role over the course of the series. So like uh, using Golas. So Paul comes back, um, Cheney, Lady Jessica, um... Fufier, uh, uh, Gurney Halleck, um, Leto II, um, all of them come back, um, including uh, Leto I. Um, the Duke? The, yeah, they bring him back, too, for some reason. That's wild. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, and the thing is, too, there's a huge age gap between him and Jessica, which makes a really weird epilogue. Um, and what happens is, it's this giant fight between them, and then they also, like, the bad guys also bring back Baron Harkonnen and their own version of Paul. Cool. So they want Baron Harkonnen to train this Paul. Then they give him, like, it's called, like, the Ultra Spice, which is, like, a <laughs> synthetic form of spice. And it immediately kills the alternate Paul, the other Paul uh. that was trained by the Baron. Um, and they give regular spice to the Paul that was made by... The, uh, the the remainder of the Benny Gesserit, and um, all of that nonsense kind of just happens. Um, and then it ends off where it's like Duncan is the main focal point because he's the true Kwisatz Haderach. Okay. In the whole thing. <laughs> um, so he ends up merging and becoming one with the machines and fosters a peace between the two. By becoming one with the machine. And huh. the thing Did the Wachowskis too, read this? Did this come out before the Matrix? Yes. No, after the Matrix. Oh. Uh, this was <laughs> 2006. Because the thing is, too, there are also characters in this book that were not introduced by Frank Herbert, which I think lends to your theory that it's not entirely based on his outlines. A lot because, of fans say that, too. Yes, because a lot of what they bring up uh, comes from the books that Frank Herbert and his writing partner wrote after uh, uh, Brian Herbert and his, and his writing partner wrote after Frank Herbert died. Like that yeah, first he, series that came out. 
because they wrote the pre those other prequel series right and then they wrote this as the final book to the the main series right there are two characters there that they bring that have major roles in this that are both int- never referenced before and both are major in the uh in those books about the butlerian jihad and like the the battle of caladan wow that's yeah and that almost sounds like um brian wanted to use all the best characters yeah. So then he just resurrects all of them into Yeah, his everyone co- like and the thing is too, remember I called it too when it's like when when that in in children when at the end of Messiah, we're going to and full disclosure, I think this should just come with the territory at this point we're now 8 minutes in. We're going to spoil not just Dune, but also everything after Dune. Um because it it's a seminal work of science fiction. Um at this point it's also over 50 years old. Yeah, um, so and I think you would were... still get a lot of enjoyment out of it, even if you. There's so much little details in it. It's um, yeah, it, very. Like, there's such vast books that we're not going to be able to do justice to what what it is. But like it, at the end of Messiah, when he wanders into the desert, and then there's the uh, the preacher he's called when he comes back in in children, um, and when they did that, I, I remember texting you and I said. They did that because they need to be able to bring him back in the future because you need a tissue sample to resurrect. And mm-hmm. if he wanders into the desert and dies in the desert, you can't do that. So I do believe there was some idea to bring Paul back as a Gola, and they do kind of lay the groundwork in Heretics, at least, that um, Duncan could be a Kwisatz Haderach. And they, um, the Telexu Master in the in um, Heretics and Chapter House, he has, that, mm-hmm. he has something in his skin that he has all the tissue samples of all the important characters. Right. So they, so like, that I, I buy that, that part. Was, yeah. I like, I buy that, that was part of it, but I don't believe that there was this, this like the machines rising up and doing and, and coming into it. I think that was a insertion by, uh, Brian Herbert. That was his idea. Yeah. To, Cause there to, is something, um, that the honored matres are running from. There's like some mm-hmm. other, enemy that they're fleeing from and that's how they get up into the imperium so i'm sure there there was some greater threat that that was going to be in the last book but Mm -hmm. i don't they never really i don't think he hinted at it that it was would be machines or anything like that frank i I could buy it but like you know anytime you introduce an outside thing like it could have been machines if it's something from an outside source outside of the imperium but like in the same way, it's like if you, if you said there was an outside force in Star Wars and like, oh, and here's the Yuuzhan Vong. It's like if you gave me 12 million guesses, I never would have guessed that it's a bunch of weird reptilian religious fanatics who aren't sensitive to the force. Like, that's that, yeah. that wouldn't have been on my list. And at least there is a, a kind of a uh, a reason why they would have machines coming in because all through the, the books, there's this um, – this, fear of machines and letting artificial intelligence have any sort of say in anything like because that's where the mentats come from it's it's this you know we're going to train humans to do what machines can because we don't trust machines to to do it and they do as the books keep going on the the ixians who are the they're like the technology planet um Mm. they they do break the the treaty or the the laws of the technology and right. they start building more and more advanced computers. And I think there is actually AI in Chapter House, like the ships. Um, one of the some of the no ships could use like AI to travel. Right, because yeah, because it was because that's how they got around the the need for spice. Yeah, 
So that's, I guess it is heading, maybe could be heading in that direction. But maybe Frank Herbert was going to do it where these AI that already established like turn or yeah. it's not just some it, it, random. It wouldn't have been the instance. characters that he wrote in the prequels. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they just come back. Like, oh, hey, Brian, guys, Herbert, here. Brian Herbert did come out and say he loved the movie. So I guess that's good. I mean, it's hard. Like, even if you didn't like Dune, this movie still functions well enough on its own to to not require like like you don't need to have read the book to understand this movie uh, yeah it does enough explanation of relevant things like they don't under explain what a mentat is but they don't need to and i feel like a lot of people are going to see this movie and assume that um he's just a robot like an android kind of like data yeah I, I bet yeah probably people will and for all intents and purposes he basically is Right, because um, they they train them from infancy like to be this, um, right. but actually Christopher Tolkien like because there there's a, already a bunch of comparisons between Dune and Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. um, and Christopher Tolkien famously hates the Lord of the, the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies, right? So it's weird because it's like you would think it just be like I will just like whatever you because if you guys are gonna pay me millions of dollars to make these movies, like I'll say I like them. Well, I, it, it's financially beneficial and they're similar because both him and brian herbert took over basically their father's works right um but the difference is brian herbert has now gone off and has written like 20 books in the universe that may not be that connected to the main story but christopher Mm. tolkien took all his father's notes and then now makes edited versions of those notes so they're they're really Mm. J.R.R. tolkien's works just edited like to make sense so I and they really represent J.R. Tolkien's like what he wanted the stories to be, mm-hmm. or as like early versions of existing stories. But Brian Herbert's just kind of gone like completely other direction. His is kind of like um, uh, Tom Clancy, where it's mm-hmm. like Tom Clancy died, and it's just other writers taking over the name and just writing whatever they want. And it's like, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Or or like the Star Wars expanded universe, where it's yeah. like. You know, anyone can come in and write what they want. They're loosely connected. Maybe they're, you know, contradict each other. Maybe they don't. Um, but like, you know, it it, it could be uh, there, but or or not. I'm because like I'm sitting there watching this movie, and when uh, Leto is wandering around, not wandering around, when he's like sneaking through the um, through the palace uh, on Arrakis when the, uh, when the coup is happening, not really a coup, but when the invasion's happening of the Harkonnens, um, I'm sitting there, my first thought when I see him wandering out, I'm like, who cares enough about Leto the first to write an entire book about him? Because that's the one that came out last year was a prequel book about him. Oh yeah. He is. He's like a good character, but yeah, he's, I don't think he was ever meant, he's not meant to be the main character or I guess in like earlier it is the book's supposed to be like um, in an earlier version of like a fantasy book or sci-fi book. He probably would mm-hmm. be the main character because uh, right. he would be like the the noble taking over, like the king. But yeah, in this version, like, he's I, removed quickly. Yeah, and it's like even in the book, it's like he's he's dispatched. Like I remember, like I said, it reminded me a little bit of like almost like Hamlet to an extent. It is. Where, it's actually very very. I was reading like a. So the similarities between the two, mm-hmm. 
and they are very similar to each other. Even like at the end when he fights Fade with the poison tip blade, right? And, and and to an extent, like that's to be expected of most fiction. Like there's only like fifty something different types of drama. Yeah, and I think that like Shakespeare at this point is the most commonly drawn from fiction to 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 create you know uh, something based on and and that one is tried and true it's like the lion king is is literally just hamlet but in the 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 savannah with lions in it and it's like i i don't care about the backstory of hamlet's father to the point where i need a 400 page <laughs> novel about what, what like what he was doing cuz the thing is too it's not even like there was a major war between the um the Atreides and the Harkonnens at that point. Yeah, it was just they're just like tense, and I'm sure they do like yeah. assass- they do like mini like probably like assassination or sabotage plots to each other. But there's yeah, there's never really all that war until the the Dune ha- until Dune happens. Right, and it's like when you look at like and the only one like the one that came out this year, like two weeks ago, that one I would be interested in reading only because. It's the story of Jessica mm-hmm. uh, learning to be uh, a Benny Gesserit. Yeah, that part that would be interesting because, like, yeah. more interesting to say the least than than what was Leto doing as like the descendant of royalty and, and all. Now, the bullfighting thing and the bull imagery was that in the book, and I just missed it. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a that's very heavy in the book. Okay, because um, I, I, I was like, I don't remember this. Yeah, I was I was actually surprised how much they showed it in the the movie, because mm-hmm. um, I because I thought that would be something that's like who really cares about the the Duke's father and how he died. Um, right in the book, it's nice how it's drawn out, but I didn't think they would go into that in the movie. But yeah, they show that in the movie so many times. But yeah, yeah in, any in, time in, they they like they had like a bull somewhere. There's a little statue somewhere. There's a little the inscription on the wall. There's a like bullhorns hanging like yeah in the book it's crazier they in the book because the the duke's father gets gored by a bull because right. the duke because he liked doing bullfighting for fun and in the book they this within an hour of the bull killing the father they spray the bull's head with like preservative to keep the blood on the horns and then that's the head that gets hung up on the, the wall <laughs> so there's blood there's <laughs> always the blood on it and then they had a whole chapter where the Duke and Jessica are fighting because she doesn't want it up in the dining room because she says mm-hmm. it's gross. Uh, and then he I, says, I would tend to agree. <laughs> and then he's like talks about his like family legacy or like the wants of his concubine, and it's it's an right. interesting. It shows like the dynamic between the power dynamic between them. I might go back in and re-listen to the book. I, I downloaded last night out of because I read the Wikipedia page for like all of the spinoff books and all of that. And, like, to see where else he went. Because it's, like, that's the thing with with this book series, is it takes place over such a frame of time. I think that's the other big comparison you can make with Lord of the Rings, is the amount of time that these books take place over is kind of unfathomable. It's very hard to wrap your head around that length of time. Yeah. That's because what I like tell... The of- um, I tell people that, like, my friend that saw the movie with me had never read the books... And I was like, oh, yeah, between the third and fourth book, there's a 3,000-year time gap. <laughs> and at first, when you hear that, you're like, oh, that's not that long. And then it's like, wait a minute, no. That is, like, today back to ancient well, – before ancient Greece. Yeah, and two of the characters are still in the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
and one but, turns into a giant worm monster. Yeah. When oh, everyone can in... I guess yeah, he and does... that's some children of doom, but he was well, he, no, he does that years. in um in the two late ones, but it's kind of like a weird transformation, like a werewolf. Wait, so he comes Sandwich. back like yeah, later the second comes back and then t- changes again. Yes, because apparently it it makes sense to me that later the second when he dies his like I don't think it altered his DNA. The, oh, because his consciousness fusion. gets diffused amongst all his the baby sandworms. Right. Um so it, like it didn't change his DNA um, uh, like physically like he it's just kind of it's like Eddie Brock is still Eddie Brock without Venom. It's that kind of thing where it's yeah. like Venom doesn't alter his DNA. It's just an exosuit, and it, it's kind of the same thing with the with the sand trouts and and That's when he becomes the worm. Yeah, he um, but like in the la- later ones, it's it it's kind of like Venom because like all of a sudden he becomes the worm, <laughs> like during a fight, like or like in X Men uh, when um, Pyro and Iceman are fighting. And Iceman what? just becomes like the physical Iceman with like the ice body. Like, that's weird. To overpower him, like that's kind of what it is. Where it's like they're fighting, and all of a sudden he becomes the worm. Yeah, because in the books, he it's like a thousands of years transformation that's yeah. kind of slow that builds up to him becoming a worm monster. And, and it, it, it works in the like within the confines of it. And by the way, the episode of The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy is hilarious oh yeah that's i think it's the only like media representation like, of god emperor of dune is Billy yeah Mandy. because they don't get that far in the show um they they only get up to children yeah um, the miniseries yeah yeah but uh yeah and I, there's a great visual gag in that episode where anytime billy is off screen because billy's taking the role of duncan um when he when he's first resurrected there's a number on his chest on his shirt Anytime he's off screen for longer than like a cutaway from him talking to someone else talking, the number goes up. Yeah. <laughs> because he died in some stupid way between scenes. And it's not like the number goes up by one, the number goes up by like 30 or 100 or something. Yeah. And then I think the. Who's the. What's the Grim Reaper's name? I can't even remember. A Grim, Grim? I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he's he's Maneo. <laughs> yeah. Too. That's hilarious. That that was probably like that was probably the best like parody I've seen them do on that. Like they did a lot of parodies on that show, uh, but that one was one of the funniest. And I'm sure I think 99, probably 0.8 percent of people that watched that did not get what it was referencing. Oh yeah, because I didn't until I read an article and it's like, oh by the way, the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy did a parody of God Emperor of Dune, and I'm like, no, they didn't. Yeah, that's definitely that one writer was like, I'm going to do this, and no one yeah. will notice. Yeah, exactly. Or it's like, there was like one guy in the writer's room who was like, this is going to be really funny, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? Uh, but the thing is, too, it's like episode three, so it really did help set the tone for like what that show would be and what level of like ridiculous they could do. Yeah, I love that show. I wasn't allowed like, to watch it when I was little. I had to watch it all the time. <laughs> But, it, it, like, they they got away with a lot on that in terms of, like, you know, kind of weird body horror and things like that. Um, it was kind of like a more tame Courage the Cowardly Dog in that regard. But that episode was so early on, it had to have helped set the tone. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, 
you know, even in weird, like, it's a weird way that Dune has influenced pop culture, like, all those years later. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's probably, because I feel like that's probably one of the lowest points of Dune's popularity was probably during that time. Yeah, because that would have been right after Frank Herbert died. Mm-hmm. And it would have been at, so it would have been after Chapter House, but before, uh, but before the two sequel books came out. Yeah. Anyway, aren't in the sequel books aren't the worms in water now? They're like ocean worms or something. Yes, that was one of the things is that they managed to breed water worms that can live in the ocean, and they are the ones who create the ultra spice. So it's like water spice. Yeah, it's spice in the water. <laughs> But also, cool. <laughs> apparently, when they say they destroyed Arrakis in um, Heretics, they mm-hmm. didn't really destroy Arrakis. Like, like when when someone says to you they destroyed a planet, like your your immediate thought is Death Star on Alderaan. That's what I did think when they described that in the book. Yeah, that's not what happened. Is it just like they eradicate life or something on the planet? They destroyed all life and made the planet basically uninhabitable. But because – this is another weird thing is that because um, uh, Letter the Second's consciousness is – and by the way, I, I always hate that they refer to him as Leto the Second. Oh, because he would actually be the third, right? Well, not only that, but regardless of that, like when we look at like historical in, in real world, like Ivan – the the uh, the czar of russia like he's referred to as ivan the terrible but he's russian so i can promise you he's not the first ivan to hold that office because i think oh, his father okay. was named ivan too so like w- like in this world you would think he would just be there it would be the duke leto atreides then it would be muadib paul atreides and then it would be the tyrant Leto Atreides. That's yeah, because yeah, I guess he's because he's not a duke; he's the emperor, or or the god emperor, Luke Atre- uh, yeah. Leto Atreides. Like, um, but apparently, because his consciousness was in all the sandworms, and he had prescience, he knew that the honored Matres would destroy Arrakis. <laughs> so they all went deep underground and just kind of bided their time. While Arrakis like started to heal itself, oh, that's con- that's convenient. And then like the new the new Leto, who's the Gola, um, who is now Worm, goes back to um, the the Arrakis, meets all of the other Worms who are still kind of chilling underground. Like, hey guys, what's up? Then they all fuse into one big worm. <laughs> <laughs> and start re-terraforming the planet. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Even though I don't think any of the... Yeah, once the worms are adults, they don't start fusing. Because they're, they're already like 600 meters long. Yeah, the, the, but it's, it's kind of like the super rat in the New York City subways. That where they like all tie tail. together. Yeah, it's kind of like that, but with worms. They just become one super worm and then just go and, you know, fuck off to make more spice. Yeah, at least it doesn't seem boring. It, it's just, it's no, just it, seems... it, it, and the thing is, too, the books are only like 400 pages, and it's like, that's a lot to cram in there. Yeah, I my uncle like, loves all the books, and he's read all the Brian Herbert and the Kevin Anderson books, too. And um, mm-hmm. he says, if you like the universe enough, 
you'll just enjoy reading more stuff within that universe and just don't go in expecting them to be as good as the Frank Herbert ones. And I can see that because, like, I'm someone who reads all the Star Wars books. Yeah, right? actually, Kevin Anderson wrote a bunch of the Star Wars expanded universe really? books. Yeah. Hmm. He has, I think, a long time ago, but I know he's written some of them. Oh, yeah. I, seen, I think he wrote some of the Clone Wars ones before the Clone Wars TV show and before the prequels. Mm hmm. Like, about, like, what happened in the Clone Wars, and then Lucas got some heat because uh, he, he, like, he decanonized what he wrote and he also decanonized part of what Zahn wrote and he's like I don't know maybe a long time ago in a galaxy far far away maybe I gave a shit but not now <laughs> like um, so they they like they just decanonized everything from that era and it's like a lot of that older stuff is hard to find like even Alan Dean Foster had a book that was um, Splinter of the Mind's Eye that um, is not canon because it came out in 1978. And oh, it wow. was, yeah, it was the original plot for Empire Strikes Back had Star Wars d did well enough to earn a sequel, but not a sequel on the budget they wanted to do for Empire. Like a lower budget? Yeah, it's like a lower budget. So most of it takes place on a swamp planet. Um, that oh. was a low budget idea. Um, they're looking for the Kyber crystal for most of it. Okay. Well, I'm happy that didn't get made. <laughs> yeah. And they also didn't know Harrison Ford was coming back. So he's not in the book. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like they, they like, it, and that's what it is because he was the most expensive cast member. So it's, and he didn't want to come back unless they backed up the money truck. And it's like, yeah. they, uh, so they didn't know that was going to happen. So they, it, it's a really interesting book for purely like, you know, this is what our plan was going to be, but we didn't do it. But back to Dune. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, the 1984 movie. Um, I found that one was closer in terms of adapting the dialogue. I do like I I know I've read reviews of people hated this, but I like in a 1984 one, the internal thoughts mm -hmm. and the, the voiceover that they do with the characters. Because so much of the book, then part of why the book's interesting is you have, like, with in between characters talking with each other, what each character is thinking uh, a mm -hmm. lot of the time, and, like, insights into their, like, motivations and what they think of each other. And the David Lynch movie just shows this, like, directly, where you'll have, you'll hear characters and their thoughts as they're My son performing is actions. alive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, especially with, like, the Dr. UA stuff in the David Lynch version mm -hmm. um, where you can see, I think a little bit more of how trusting they were of Dr. UA and cause yeah. with his like Imperial conditioning and that stuff that the new one doesn't really go into at all. Yeah. Cause the new one kind of, they get to Arrakis and it's automatically like they, they find the, the, the Harkonnen guy who's on the hunter seeker and, yeah. and, and it's like, everyone's a suspect. Do not trust anyone. Like, get ready right now. And it's like, we, we meet UA for, like, one scene, and he's already acting weird in that one scene. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, and they... Right before he goes into the uh, the Gom Jabbar sequence, he's, mm -hmm. he's acting weird right there. Well, I think he's nervous for Paul, too, because the, he knows that they might just kill him at that point. Right. And it's like, when we look at, like, um... He does have the most prescient 
thing though of anyone in there about about how the Benny Gesserit are really only there for their own self interest, not for the interests of the galaxy, for the interests of them. And yeah. It's like like he's the only one who's like, Hey, by the way, maybe we shouldn't blindly trust this religious order of nuns who can, you know, read minds and see the future. Like Yeah, I think something that they could have done even just with a little bit of dialogue would uh they would they did it with a little bit with Doctor UA, but show the almost like the competition between the the Souk doctors, the Bene Gesserit, and the Mentats, where it's like right. these three different orders that are think pretty much they all have hubris that they think they're the the most knowledgeable of those groups, and like they're right. the ones that should be followed, or like they're the right. best advisors to whoever their like leaders are. And, and it's like the I, I think that like the other thing is when you when you adapt a book for for theatrical going back to the the the, the monologue thing uh, the internal monologue that they did in, in the Lynch version that they didn't do here it's like a lot of times in a book that has like a, a, a limited omniscient point of view where you can hear what everyone's thinking um, you lose a lot when you go to the theatrical because it's very hard to do that in a way that isn't weird it is weird in David Lynch movie like it, and it's something because it's you never see that before, and it's like look at like the Hunger Games, which is told from the first person perspective in the book. Um, so the entire time, everything is not only from Katniss's perspective, but you get her internal monologue of what what she sees, why it means something to her, and what happens. Um, so because of that, I think that like like when they did the movie, they cut all that out because obviously you can't have Katniss there talking to herself. Because I don't think that would have flown for a YA adaptation movie that's meant to gross, like, hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, I don't think that would have flown quite as well. Um, But I think that in something like what Lynch was doing, which is, like, a more, like, I don't want to say arthouse take, but kind of arthouse take on what, on this material... Which he could have done. And I think that, like, um, I liked a lot of his designs, but I think that this movie was closer um, to, like, the art. I haven't seen any of Frank Herbert's drawings, but based on the They are very close. um, Because I actually, I have the illustrated version of Dune, not the graphic novel, Mm -hmm. uh, which apparently is not that great. Um, But I have the illustrated version from, like, the 70s um, that... It was the artist worked with Frank Herbert. And then I think Frank Herbert has like an introduction or something that says, this is exactly how I envisioned what I was writing. And it is, it does look very close to the, the movie too. And it's like, when you look at like, like and that was the thing is like on the cover of one of the books, they showed like the, uh, um, the ships that, uh, the spacefaring ships, uh, that's like hollow and like a tube. Yeah. The guild ships. Yeah, the, the space like, liners. Yeah, it's like, oh wow, they did that exactly as it was. Yeah, and they really captured the scale of that too. Um, yeah, and then they do a really good job. Like in in the opening of the movie, the new movie, they they show the Emperor's Herald coming, and mm-hmm. they have to come on a guild ship because it's intergalactic, and they show this big. You can't really see because it's in outer space, but they show this big tube, and this little dot comes out of it. Then the next scene, you see the dot land, and it's just massive ship. So then you yeah. can imagine how 
even bigger the guild ships are. Yeah, they like, and that's something that like I think is a is one of those things that's easy to mess up. Mm-hmm. Uh, is like scale, um, but I, and it's like things like that. I've always commended Denis Villeneuve's ability to to even small details like that. Like we go deep um, when it comes to blowing Denis Villeneuve on this podcast. <laughs> um, like I, uh, episode five, we did prisoners, um, and it's like we like we do not miss the opportunity to to give him his due. Um, but like, I remember when we talked about prisoners, I said, like, one of the little things that they get right in that movie is that it takes place after Thanksgiving and it would have been very easy to have it just be snowy. Yeah. It's in Pennsylvania and it's not snowy yet. It's just, everything's wet. Yeah. It's wet and gray and it's almost, everything's like dead. Yeah. And And it's like, it could be snow, but it's going to melt in like a couple days. Right, but like, so everything's got like that sheen to it, and it's like it's 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 one of those things that's a small detail, but it's a big detail that also adds to the mood of the movie. And he's very good about doing that, where it's like playing with these things to expand on the mood. Yeah, and I re- I really thought the look of the desert of Arrakis, mm-hmm. it was it, I think they did a really good job. Like it all it did look different than Earth. I think so. Yeah. Like it it didn't just look like a, yeah, it didn't just look like a stereotypical desert with like a big dune. Um, like it did actually look alien. Yeah. Uh, that, and yeah, that was really good. Um, trying to think, I like that. They didn't show any guild navigators. They're going to save that. I think. Yeah. In the book, they, there's, they actually, in I would, cause I just reread the book before I saw the movie. And in the beginning of the book, Paul actually asks, the Duke, um, oh, are we going to get to see the guild navigators? And he said, no, um, like we, no one ever sees how they work. So mm-hmm. that part's held true where no one actually gets to see any guild navigators or what they're doing. But right. I do think, I guess we can talk that I texted you about this in the very, very beginning of the movie before even the, they show the movie logos or like the studio logos. There's a really weird deep voice that says um, in a different language talks about dreams yeah, like dreams are something. I watched it last night. I should have written it down, but yeah, now I <laughs> too. And that would be a smart thing to do. It's like five seconds, and yeah, it's very strange. And I haven't really seen anything about this, but I think that was supposed to be a guild navigator uh, speaking because the the guild navigators have prescience too. That's how mm-hmm. they travel and and space is they can see into the future where they should be going through space-time. Uh, and that's well, how they get to where they're going. This is another thing that Star Wars ripped off of Dune, actually. Um, oh. <laughs> hyperspace, how hyperspace travels works. Um, because in Star Wars, when they go through... like The reason why anytime Han's like, we gotta sit here for ten minutes and do the calculation for how we're going to jump, the reason is because they can't just jump from place to place because they got to be careful of like moving planets and things like that. So they need to calculate everything. And the guild navigators operate in a similar way where they use prescience to, um, to, to see, Oh, this is where things are going to move. So we know where to go. Otherwise we're going to fly into a planet or fly into a sun or into a black hole or some shit. And, um, in the books, um, the Thrawn books, um, they have Vader, is the first one to do it, 
um, when they go into and, and Ray does it too in The Rise of Skywalker for more than the five people who have read the Thrawn books. Um, <laughs> when they're going through the unknown regions, when she's going to Exegol, um, the reason why she can do it without an R2 unit or some kind of calculating thing is through the Force. Oh, okay. So, like, she's able to nap. That's why it's like they have to follow Ray's path through. It's because Ray traversed it, and it's like, oh, we know where to go. Like, we can have the location of the planet, but we need to know where, which way to go to not hit anything on the way. Okay. Yeah, that is very similar to do. (laughs) That's where that's where Star Wars pulled that from. Yeah, there's a lot of things in Star Wars. That's the other. I, I, the comparisons to Lord of the Rings, I think, are actually better than the comparisons to Star Wars. Because Star but, Wars just blindly ripped it off. Yeah. Cool, then you, you do have people already saying, like, this is just, like, Star Wars. And the thing is, too, it's like, in the beginning, Lucas wasn't exactly shy about how much he was inspired by Dune. Oh, yeah. And there's the other, like, like uh, old uh, the samurai movies, too. Yeah, like the the thing is, the big example is when when they first land on Tatooine and they're walking through the desert. Um, that like skeleton they find is meant to be a sandworm. Oh, whoa! <laughs> yeah, it's that's, crazy. that's that, that, that it's 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 a reference to Arrakis in that way, and it's like they're um, uh, that's fine. That's like a fun reference, but right. I think it's when they start he starts ripping off almost yeah like. The prescient, like the force prescient stuff. That wasn't, yeah. in fairness to Lucas, that wasn't Lucas who ripped that off. That was oh, okay. first Zahn, then J.J. Abrams. Um, I heard a reference to Dune this week in a book that was less fun and more disgusting. Because <laughs> um, it's like, it was such a weird thing because Lindsay Ellis, I don't know if you, I, I've told you about the book. Um, I've, I've watched her in some of her essay and, videos. Yeah, she's good, and, and and she does good. Her her first one, Axiom Zen, was really good, and the sequel just came out, and I was listening to it, and the girl who's the lead in the book uh, went through a lot in the last book, so now she's dealing with the after effect of being, like, almost ripped in half. And, like, you know, it, it's a long story, but, like, all of that happens, so, like, she ends up, like, you know, doing a bunch of really risky behaviors, including, like, sleeping around is one of them. Mm-hmm. And the reference that they use is, like, he he attacked her mouth, and his tongue was, like, a sandworm of Arrakis. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's graphic. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was uh, that was a fun one this week. Um, now, you didn't watch the, the show on sci-fi. The miniseries? No, I right. haven't watched it yet. I know Brian um, Herbert actually likes that one, too. He does not yeah. like the David Lynch movie. I think it's because the David Lynch movie is too different. But I will say Frank Herbert does like did like the David Lynch movie. And he actually was on set uh for it and was like, Oh, this is this is fun. Like it's just like a fun movie that's based off my huh. book. Like it doesn't have to be exactly the same. That because the thing is too, he died like two years after I heard people making fun of it, it's like, Oh, that's what killed him. Oh uh, the ending of that movie is pretty bad, but the, it was a studio note. Because at the end of the David Lynch movie, Paul makes it rain on Arrakis with his superpowers. Uh, and then it shows an ocean. Um, so that's why people are like freak out about it, because that doesn't happen for like another few thousand years. I, I don't know. Like for me, it's like... But I don't really care. Because like for me, it's like the book is there. 
like if an adaptation doesn't do what I was hoping for, it's like it doesn't change the book. Yeah, and that movie is fun. Like it's rated R, and there's some. There's actually they're now comparing the two movies. The Baron in the new movie, it's very good. He's very gross. Uh, his suspensors are cool. They're embedded in a spinal cord, and you yeah. can like see them light up when he wants to float. But he's not a pedophile, so I was missing that aspect of the <laughs> of his character. I, I liked the um the the way they did they showed the suspension the first time mm-hmm. because you it, if you didn't know that he was just floating, it could just be that he's really fucking tall with really skinny legs. That actually is a very good point. Like when <laughs> he, he has that like dying down. Yeah, yeah, because it just, it just goes right. It just it, he just stands up and it just continues going up, and the gown stays touching the ground, and it's just the way it looks is just so unnerving. And I think that like the unsung like best performance of this movie is probably David Desmalchin. Who is who does he play? He is um, DeVries. Oh, Peter. Yeah. The twisted mentet. Yeah, he was really yeah. good. Yeah, like he—he's such a great actor. I've seen like, if if you like, oh, he's in prisoners. Yeah. Oh, he was in the Dark Knight. He was in Ant Man. He was—he played Calendar Man in the Long Halloween, in a very and similar he, way. And he's a polka dot man. Yes. In Suicide Squad, which is another really good movie that didn't you know do well at the box office, probably because partially uh, HBO Max. But um, he, I think, yeah, he. It was a really good, like, reveal, too, of having the Baron be naked when we first see him. So you can just see how gross he is and how just, like, yeah, how fat he is. But, yeah, the David Lynch one, he's, like, even grosser. He has, like, all these skin infections. Mm -hmm. And he has, like, a weird, and he has, like, these these blood donors set up where it's these people with their eyes sewed shut that are Mm -hmm. connected to him and, like, giving them his blood. And everyone has heart plugs in their chest (laughs) that he can rip out to kill people and yeah, then he like rapes a boy and <laughs> rips his heart plug out in the David Lynch one. So and, and it's that like was when, fun. I think the other thing where it's like the the other thing I really liked about this one when they showed Salundas Secundus, which I'm probably mispronouncing, but when they show that like all of the weird noises there, that was awesome. Like I love that. That was so bizarre and like it's just so weird that it's, it 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 adds this weird gravitas to it. Yeah, I was very surprised they showed. Uh, Seleucus Secundus, which That's is it. the the emperor's prison planet, and then in the in the books, everyone everyone in the empire knows it's a prison planet, and then it's they slowly figure out that's where the emperor's army comes from is his mm-hmm. political prisoners that they basically torture into becoming the best army in the world, and it's there's a very it's a very it's like one line in the book. Um, Paul is talking to the duke about that, and he's like, well, how does he make these prisoners loyal to him? And then a duke goes on to explain how like ritual works, and it's like if you raise people in this like brutal religion from a very early age, they'll be obsessed with ritual and uh, loyalty. And then that's mm-hmm. without explaining that. That's what you see in the movie is they're doing these blood rituals um, before battle, right? And that part's awesome. You have all these people hanging upside down with their blood draining out, <laughs> and then they're and, and giving they, people I, crosses and stuff. There was a lot of great visual shorthand between Salunda, uh, however you pronounce that, and um, when they were on uh, Giddy Prime, and then compare that to Caladan, and it's like, yes. hmm, 
who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. <laughs> One's got a lot of metal. The other one is this nice little, like, basically, like, space Italian coast. Like, Yeah. Also, I love Kaladin, too, because it's a very wet planet with all this, these trees. So mm-hmm. everything inside the palace is made of wood. And it's, like, there's, like, little touches like that that are, yeah. that are nice. Um, yeah, I, so I think that, like, the big question going for part two um, is who do you cast in the major roles that haven't been cast yet. Yeah, so you need the Emperor, the Princess Arulan, and Arulan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've only Fave read the Ratha. books. So oh, I, yeah. I, so I, I have my own pronunciation. <laughs> that was that was something that, that pissed me off about the 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 thing is I think the audiobook there was an audiobook that came out during Herbert's lifetime. And that's where a lot of the pronunciation comes from. So a lot of the pronunciation is correct. So like they pronounce like Kwisat Sadarak correct. They pronounce Muad'Dib correct. Everything is pronounced correct. Except for C-H. Yeah, I think how you you say it is the correct way. Yeah, because it's like they, they say, like, I, I, this is the, the joke I texted you. It's like he's talking about, like, he's from the Siege. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> is that his town? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like they're gonna like they're gonna, like this guy's got stars upon thars. This one doesn't. So like you know, go fuck yourself. Like th- that's the like that was my big problem. Like the only time where it, like it took me out where I'm like, what the fuck are they talking about? Like I read the book and I don't know what this is. Like and yeah. then like they they started saying other things. Like oh okay, now I know what's going on. There was there was one thing that they added in that it took me. I watched. I've seen the movie twice so far, and it took mm-hmm. me the second time to figure out why they did this. So. Um, when Duncan comes back from living with the Fremen, uh, he gives Paul that Wayfinder thing where, where they're like, compasses don't work here because there's two moons. So this right. is a Wayfinder to find this, the Siege or the Siege. And I'm like, why are they doing this? And then it's because in the book, Paul and Jessica just randomly stumble upon Steelgar and the other Fremen. But yeah, now in the, in the movie, out, they have this Wayfinder that's guiding them towards the the CH, which right. I think makes I think it makes much more sense instead yeah, of them just wandering like, oh, around. <laughs> yeah, this worked out. Yeah. Um, like and and so like, oh, and then there was one other role, Aaliyah. Oh yeah, so Aaliyah's in the movie technically mm-hmm. yes. for five seconds because that's when he has the vision. That's definitely the spice orgy and the water of life ceremony. Right. Because that's when Aaliyah is prematurely born, and then Paul. I wonder if they'll just make it where Paul just drinks the water of life during that scene, or will they do it like in the book where he waits and then drinks it later and then goes into a coma? Hmm. It might be easier just to combine it all into one scene. Yeah, because I'm assuming they're not going to go over. They're not going to go to three hours on a sequel. I think they would just stick it at two and a half again. Yeah, and I don't think they're they're going to show the orgy part of the spice. Yeah, orgy. I would assume they're going to stick with PG thirteen again. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be uh, great if it just becomes gonna, Caligula. Go the Matrix, <laughs> like and and do the weird like everything going on on Zion. They're not gonna do that. Oh, it's think. just like a rave. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that'd be great too. Yeah, and then um, there's just hardcore nudity. <laughs> like yeah. it just gets crazier. Like from a bunch of extras. Like and like uh, now in the book, uh, Aaliyah only hits Howled. Time. I think she's like four. It's she's very young. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I think the the move would be to just cast like 
like at, at least a ten or twelve year old. Um, I I would say they probably go teens, maybe. That's fine. Yeah, because she has to do a, I, a lot. I think maybe you go with the girl from the Ghostbusters movie that's coming out. I don't think um, I know who that is. Because it's like I've been seeing reviews of the Ghostbusters movie, and people are acting like she's the second coming of Christ out of this Ghostbusters <laughs> movie. Uh, so maybe her, maybe the girl from, um, what was that show on uh, Netflix? Oh, Millie Bobby Brown. No, um, Stranger Things. A series of unfortunate events, girl. Oh yeah, and she kind of looks like Jessica too. Yeah, that would be. I think that would be my choice. Yeah, or what they could do is just cast a four-year-old, but then have an adult woman do voiceover. Because <laughs> I think that'd be jarring. Because she does speak like an adult, like yeah. she. Because I guess this is kind of a spoiler, but um, what ends up happening is they do this giant fremen like uh, ritual where Jessica drinks this poison water, and then the Bene Gesserit can change the molecular structure of things. Um, so she turns it into this like hallucinogen made of spice, it's like spice water, basically, that mm-hmm. comes from a drowned baby sandworm. Uh, and then this causes her to prematurely give birth to Aaliyah, who is an abomination because um, she has all the powers of a Bene Gesserit and like supreme consciousness, but without any training. So she's like this weird supernatural being almost. Or is she going to be called in the uh, by people in the community after the movie comes out a Mary Sue? Yeah, but it, she's I don't know. <laughs> well, she, because she's powerful, everyone will just do that to her. Yeah, anyone who has any sort of power um, but no training is automatically a Mary Sue. Um, I think yeah, she's Paul such a good character. Though Perry uh, would be considered a Mary Sue because like he uses the voice with about as much training. As Ray does in the Force Awakens. No, but you do see because uh, he's been he does it trained. once. Bo- in the movie, he does it once before. That's true. We know that he did it before that, but you know we don't need to, we we don't see it. Therefore, it didn't happen. That's true. Well, they but they do talk about how like when the Aunt Reverend Mother comes, um, right? Helen Gahim Mohias, I think her name is. <laughs> Which they say so fast, I don't think anyone understood what what was going on. Yeah, that's <laughs> her title is so long. <laughs> um, but they, she talks about how he's been trained like for so long. And the book was actually interesting too. Is he's they tell the Duke tells Paul that since he that he's actually been trained as a mentat, mm-hmm. and the, the Duke thinks that he's been being trained as a mentat, not as a Bene Gesserit. And his plan was that Paul would be a men- the first Mentat Duke, and it would they would be like an, an unstoppable house because of from that. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, so that's how it almost like tricks they trick the Duke into doing that or into thinking that. Oh, that as I, now I'm just like thinking of random things, but um, there's a one scene that was a trailer scene that I was tricked by too. It was where the Duke says Oscar Isaac, the Duke says to Jessica. Like, will you give me one thing? Like, take care of our son or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that scene in the movie, it switches where he's actually says, "I'm not asking you as a mother. I'm like asking the Bene Gesserit." And right. it it kind of shows that they're more professional relationship. It wasn't really a love scene. It was like a much more like business scene. And I think that that was one of the things that the trailers for this movie really did 
very well was it it created a narrative for this movie that really felt like a trailer for the second movie in a lot of cases. Yeah. Because a lot of what they used for action sequences weren't actually in this movie as action sequences. They were visions of the next movie. Yeah, or even like beyond the next movie. Cuz that I right. think that's like that's after Paul wins Arrakis as that then he'll do his conquest of the the empire. Well, like the money shot of uh of him with the mask. Yes. When he when he's fighting with the Fremen, that's the climax of the next movie. Oh yeah, yeah, that definitely is. Arrakis. Yeah. Uh, the scene of him and Cheney looking over the that's thing, Kaladin, I think. I think. Right, that's as they're leaving to go for the like f- when they're getting ready to go out on his uh on his wars. His holy war. Right, not, a, call it not a jihad. jihad. For, yeah, for for reasons that are you know, I think fair. I'm also, people are mad about that. I'm not mad about that at all because I understand it. It would it would have been a headache. Um, <laughs> they would have I, to explain. yeah exactly. Yeah. There there is no like th- th- that's the thing with this movie is that there are a lot of things that are a product of its time that worked because of that. That if we did it in the because we're doing it in the movie now, it's getting a weird. Um, like what's what I'm looking for? Like a, it's getting like a weird uh, uh, criticism based on that. Like yeah, the, I the, think the people are criticism. Yeah, I think people are very. A lot of people were very excited to make that criticism too. I, I think the thing is with this movie is that the movie kind of makes it too easy to levy that criticism. Yes, I think um, part of the reason is how they portray the the not even the Fremen. But the the people that live on Arrakis, like in the the cities and stuff, because mm-hmm. in the book, they're not all from Arrakis. They're just people that live in the city, and they're they're really just like city people. And then the Fremen are kind of completely different. But in this movie, they make them look like they're eighteen, like or nineteenth century, like Middle Eastern pilgrims almost. Yeah, and it's like and these it's like they. They're religious pilgrims. They don't care about standing out in the sun. They just want to see you, Paul. It's like, all right, fine. Yeah, they. I think they blow. They blow that load a little bit too fast of everyone thinking yeah. Paul is the Messiah. Because to the people in the book, the people in the city don't give a shit because they're all just like Imperium. They all work for the Empire, right? And, and uh, like, then it slowly in, builds. Normal. Yeah, it slowly builds as Paul starts interacting with the Fremen that he's like fulfilling this prophecy the fake prophecy that the the Bene Gesserit have set up now did the did Liet Kynes in the book also have, have that line about like to oh he will know our ways about, yeah th- I don't remember yes. that from the book oh she did okay that's there's actually multiple lines that are exact quotes from the book oh. in, the, in the in the new movie and that's one of them um and then actually that's something that they I think there might be a deleted scene in the new movie because when they they go with Kynes to the ecological station, and then they they all start calling him or her Liet, uh, and then Paul is like, "Oh, why do they call you that?" or something like that. Because in the book, it's set up that the ruler of all the Fremen is named Liet, and then it's almost like a reveal where you find out that Doctor Kynes is actually Liet Kynes, and that right, even though okay. he he's the planetary ecologist, he's also the ruler of the Fremen. So I feel like that was a delete. That could be some deleted scene because they made such a point of Paul saying like, "Oh, they call you Liet," or something like that. And and the thing is too, it's like I think that the movie gave her a more dignified death than the book. 
That was very interesting. For a second, I was mad. I was like, they're going to let her live. And I was like, how could they do this? But then that was a great death. I was surprised. Yeah, it's better than she wandered out into the desert, hallucinated, and died. Like, of oh, yeah. On her I do have kind fun. of like that because it's that there could have been a good middle way to do it. Like, they threw her out in the middle of the desert without anything, and then she died or something like that. Because it, it's yeah. it's almost like ironic because she's the in the book uh, he and this is a character that they did a sex change on so that's why I think right. I'm getting confused back and forth but in the book the Doctor Kynes um, it's ironic because he's trying to terraform Dune and like set it up to be a completely different planet but then it's the planet that ends up killing him mm-hmm. and I think that that would been like that could have worked and the thing is too it's like it also would help to show how dangerous the desert is. Yeah, even for even someone who lives there is going can fall victim to it, not just yeah. these three white people who have wandered in. Yeah. And then in the David Lynch one, I think he dies off camera, like off screen. <laughs> they're they're just like, Where's Dr. Kynes? And they're like, Oh yeah, he died. <laughs> and it's like I think that like going back to the the white savior criticism, I think a lot of it has to do with casting. Um, mm-hmm. Like last week, I saw a movie that like we'll, we'll use Joker as the example because Joker, I think everyone's seen. Um, in Joker, um, there's a weird racial undercurrent in that movie that is probably unintentional. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to Scott Derrickson on, the, not Scott Derrickson, uh, Todd Phillips on this. Mm-hmm. Um, where when you watch the movie, any woman that Arthur encounters over the course of that movie. Um, it's always a woman of color. Um, and oh, yeah. anytime he reaches out to them for help before he makes this descent into madness, they always reject him. Oh yeah, the therapist, and then the and then girl. Also, yeah, and then at so, the end, the other, the last doctor, right? Right. Anyone who's kind of like any safety net he reaches out to is always a woman of color, and they always turn him away in some way. So it creates this weird racial undercurrent to the movie in that regard. Um, in this movie, because the cast is so white, it creates the issue of the white savior story, where it's like, in the book, they're not white. Yeah, in the book, it's just so far in the future. That because everyone's kind of ambiguously yeah, Middle like the, the Fremen aren't indigenous to arrakis there everyone is comes from earth and there was a big scattering of humanity uh and then some people ended up on arrakis and then they have lived there for a while but all these people had to do intergalactic travel to get where they are so they're not they're not like these yeah like it's not this population that has been there for like millennia or millennia i think they've been there for a couple thousand years but and the thing is, too, it's like they have two separate scenes where Paul is watching um, like hollow vids of like, you know, what like the history of Arrakis and the history of the Fremen. Mm-hmm. One or two lines of dialogue would have fixed that criticism. Like if they just said like, oh, they they came here as part of the same diaspora that created the great houses. They just live yeah. here now. Like that would have, and it's like they are capable of intergalactic travel. But this is just their home world. It would make yeah. it seem like it's not like you know the Harkonnens and and the Atreides coming and being like, "Hey guys, we're here to take your stuff." Like, 
Yeah, and the Fremen actually they work with the Spacing Guild too. Um, yeah, they're they're the ones that bribe the Spacing Guild to not put satellites. It's not the Harkonnens, it's actually the, the Fremen. Right. It's not the base story's fault that this happened. It's it's, you know, decisions in what got cut to make this movie fit into a two and a half hour runtime. Yeah. Yeah, I think because part of the book is also it's like part of its anti-colonialism. And I think they right. wanted to really lean into that for the movie, but it I think it backfired. Yeah. Because now I they're think... now they're opening themselves up to this the white savior criticism. Because the thing is too, is like I'm looking at I'm watching the movie and I'm like, the way it's portrayed here, it's Avatar. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a guy yeah, it's a guy who's in space. He goes and he, he's on this planet. He gets he's not supposed to be with the people he's there. He's helping out the woman he falls in love with who's from the natives, and it's like because they don't explain that the Fremen are just other like other sects of the of the same intergalactic empire of people. Yeah. Just when they left, they stayed on Arrakis and they were the guardians of the spice to an extent. Yeah. And I, I think the second movie, they might have a chance to, to help, help that because I think they're going to, I think that the, that's something that there's been criticism enough about this and criticism that goes deeper into Villeneuve's lack of, people of color in his movies i like blade runner too yeah like which blade i think runner is almost very white, completely white very white um even well terrence howard yeah sicario is kind of funny how how white it is yeah so it's one of those things where it's like now it's becoming something where it's like we have to like people are looking broadly at his work and being like his hmm. work's all very lily white and then this happens so is this systemic of an issue that he has or is this something else and it's like i don't think he's racist um, yeah, I don't think so. I I just think it's that it's very like I said to you like I think that had they cast like Mena Masood as Paul, mm-hmm. like or that even would have the, alleviated the issue. The have you seen Hereditary? I have not. No. Oh, the actor that plays Peter in Hereditary would be good too, because he's he's like kind of like ambiguously brown, right? Um, but like I, I understand the I, I love the casting of Timothy Chalamet. I think all the casting is actually really good. Yeah, um, I think, I think like everyone perfect. plays their character perfectly, like Javier Bardem yeah. as a Stilgar, and yeah, Brolin was perfect as Gurney. Fun fact, I saw um, Javier Bardem, and I didn't realize it was him. I just thought, I was like, wow, that guy looks a lot like Javier Bardem. Where? In that movie. Oh. That's like, when he entered, when he entered the like, scene on the Stilgar. Street. No, when I was when I was when I when that movie start when when he entered the scene as Stilgar, I was like, wow, that guy looks a lot like Javier Bardem. Yeah, actually, the, his accent is kind of crazy in the movie. <laughs> he has like yeah. the the thickest accent of anyone, but none of the other Fremen have accents. Yeah, like Chani just talks normally, and uh, uh, Jamie's or Jamie's talks normally, yeah. um, and it's uh, Javier Bardem. It's like doing his crazy accent. And it's like I think that like um, we never finished our casting. We got way off topic about forty five minutes, about fifteen minutes ago. Um, uh, oh I think that, yeah, uh, with, yeah. We I were just going gonna, over which characters we need to cast. Yeah, right. Who would I don't think. The... Um, so it's really I think it's just three main ones, right? I don't think Lord Fenring is going to be in the movie. Um, no. I don't think. For a second, I thought maybe the that guy that played the the Emperor's Herald might be Lord Fenring, mm-hmm. 
because uh, he's like very tall. But I don't think he'll be that. Um, well, they could just consolidate it into one character. Yeah, because that's kind of what his purpose is. Is he's like the emperor's representative, um, yeah. and he's also a failed Quizass Hatterack. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the emperor, because that'll be an important. I guess if they will, they go young or old. Um, maybe Mel well, Gibson. He's gotta, old, he's gotta be old enough to have a kid who is Paul's age. Yeah, he has like I think like fifteen daughters or something crazy like that too. Because he can't, he can't make sons or so, or the his Bene Gesserit won't make him sons. Hmm. Maybe I'm, 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 I was gonna say Stalin Skarsgård, but he's already in the movie. <laughs> That'd um, be confusing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they do have there's a really fast throwaway line. I don't think a lot of people caught is that the the Baron call, calls the Duke cousin because they they're yes, related they to each that. other. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Who who else like who Mel Gibson I think uh, I was just kidding about Mel Gibson. <laughs> it would just be funny. He, he did just say cast in the prequel show for John Wick. But it, as uh, after the movie, they get criticized for being like white savior. Yeah, it's like no the next movie they cast Mel, Mel Gibson. Gibson. <laughs> uh, I, I think that like if you need some like the thing is too like they do a lot of work with makeup too. So really, you can cast basically, and I think um, well, let's work backwards. Who do you cast as Irulan? Because she's got a bigger role going forward into Messiah. So if you, whoever you cast for Irulan would also have to be a Messiah. Um, yeah. So who do you cast for Irulan? We could work from there, and then we could be who could play her dad, conceivably. Oh, okay. Um, um, so- I'm trying to... Because it, it would be someone, I guess, around Timothy Chalamet's age. So like probably yeah, like early also white. 20s. Um, because they're not going to change that, I don't think. Um, because like I would have said, um, the girl who was supposed to play Bubbles in um, what's it called in the Powerpuff Girls show that got canceled. I don't think Cameron. I knew anything about that. Oh yeah, there was a show on the CW. It was supposed to be like a gritty reboot of Powerpuff Girls in live action. That doesn't sound that good. It got canceled. Uh, Donald Faison was supposed to play um. The dad. I forgot his name. Um, like the professor? But, yeah. Huh. Yeah, that was an interesting choice. And it was like Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't remember who was playing um, Buttercup. And then like Dove Cameron. Oh, what about um, Anna Taylor-Joy? Ooh, that's a really good idea. Because I, I think she would do a good jo- Like She's a very good actress. Um, and like if even you, in shitty movies, she's good too. She was in the New Mutants, and that movie was awful. But she was not bad as um, what's her name, Magic. Yeah, and I think she would be able to. Cause she's basically the Empress. Like, yeah, she's a princess, and, she could, and she's got that weird look about her. Like, she could definitely be an alien. <laughs> yeah, she looks like an alien. <laughs> yeah, she's got that very wide set face. So yeah, that would work um, for her dad then. Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, or just Don- if, I guess if they make it Donald Sutherland, it would just be too much like the Hunger Games. Yeah. The Donald it, Sutherland great dead? Choice. No, he's still alive. Oh, okay. I think he's going to be in the next Hunger Games movie, too. I did not know they were making another. Yeah, they did a prequel book about him. Yeah, I guess that's kind of interesting. It's very rapey. It's very weird. 
I read that book. It's like he falls. He's like, it's the beginning of the Hunger Games. So it's like the third Hunger Games that they're holding, and like because there aren't enough um, champions yet to be coaches, like people from the capital are coaches. So he's the cap. He's the the person for District Twelve. Um, which feels like needless because it's like, oh, this is why he hates District Twelve so much. Uh, and he falls in love with the female tribute from District 12. Okay, that's really uh, weird. Yeah, and it, it's real because the thing is, too, it's like she's a captive, and it's like the two of them are like having this relationship, and it's like, this is definitely not okay. Like, yeah, I, I, that, was, uh, that was a really weird book. Um, but I think Kiefer Sullivan would be good because he, he's old enough now where he could do that. Bruce Willis, maybe. Yeah, I guess the the age range could be pretty broad too. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, the whoever I don't remember the actor that played in the David Lynch one, but he was pretty good as the Emperor. I don't remember either. I know I, I know Sting played Fade Rautha. Yeah, so maybe we have to, Harry Styles will play Fade. Oh yeah, in this one. <laughs> I, was, I was I was gonna say Sting again, but yeah, that's too. <laughs> to continue the tradition. <laughs> Sting Sting doesn't look any different, and he plays it the exact same way, even though tonally it doesn't fit with the movie. Like yeah, and he, he like wears the, the gold. Same. Then he wears the like, gold speedo. Yeah, and he's, he's just yelling the entire time. Yeah, I'd be fine with that, even if it it doesn't fit this movie, but it'd still be great. So, but yeah, Harry Styles is a good pull for that. Because he's in, I don't want to say it because it's a, it's a spoiler for a movie that hasn't come out yet, but everyone knows because fucking E ruined it. Like That's funny. Yeah, E went to the premiere and then spoiled the post credit scene for Eternals. And it's like, what you need to know about Harry Styles' big role, because they saw Harry Styles and Marvel in one headline, and like whoever the marketing person like came immediately when they saw that, and they were like, we can't sit on this, we have to release it right now. Oh, Pierce Brosnan, I thought, too, would be, Ooh, could be, that a, would be good. a good emperor. Because his people were thinking it might be him because his him and his son were shown a very early screener of Doom, like oh, many months good. ago. So people were trying to theorize that it's because they're, he might be tapped to be playing the emperor. And, uh, not to be a cynic, though, but he is playing Dr. Fate in... Black Lightning. Yeah, that's cool. So it could just be that he's a big fan of the book, and he's like, "Can I see the movie?" Is that also because is that DC? Yeah. So that's a Warner Brothers. Yeah, he so could have been like, "Hey, can I see that?" Because I like that a lot. That like, probably is more likely it. <laughs> <laughs> then, like, hey, if we get a sequel to this movie, like two years from now, do you maybe want to play a, ro- a very small bit part? Like, yeah, I, I, and uh, in the book, that's very accurate too because you don't see the emperor until the very end of the book. Everyone yeah. just just talking about what the em- the emperor's like motivations. Yeah, I did really like when they they showed the Reverend Mother going to the Harkonnens mm-hmm. um, to like show how they're going to collude with the emperor and like the Sardaukar yeah. and stuff. And you had that weird spider monster. That was like yeah, on the that floor. Was, that was really weird. I, I was like, I don't remember this at all. I was that's on the book. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 there are things that I'm like, maybe that was in the book, and I was like, that definitely wasn't. 
<laughs> yeah. They, they, they don't make... At least I don't remember them making weird human-animal hybrids that eat off the floor. Yeah, Ant-Man didn't have a cameo and accidentally grow an ant to the size of a small dog. Yeah. But it had a little... Too. It had human hands, too. Yeah, that was, like, that was weird. Um, yeah, I think that, like, uh, we didn't really talk about the, the sci-fi show, but the sci-fi show is kind of, like, the Dune version of, like, Battlestar Galactica or Doctor Who from that era, where it's, like, if you can sit through very bad effects... Um, the story can, is still good. Yeah, the story is still fine, but, like... And everything is designed not to look like Dune. It doesn't look like Lynch's Dune. It doesn't look like the book or this Dune. Um, it looks like that era of science fiction. Uh, and oh, okay. what people in the late 90s, early 2000s thought futuristic technology would look like. Yeah, so I've like, seen some clips of it, and it, it looks very bright. Yeah, it is very bright. And the costumes look crazy. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like if you watch it, you're like, I can see when you can tell when it was made. Yeah, um, but I've heard yeah. a lot of people that like the books like it because apparently yeah, it's, it's pretty it is, close. It's because of how long you can go with with a mini series. Like you can't mm-hmm. go like in a book. Like a book is going to tell you a story over the full time uh, that however long it takes. Um, a movie you have to cap out at two hours unless you're Zack Snyder and you do fucking four hours. Um, other than that, a miniseries is going to be better lent to a book that the audiobook takes 20 hours to get through. Yeah. Yeah. The very long book. And there's also, yeah. a, uh, appendices in the back. Yeah. So it, like 50 pages on top of the book, there's 50 pages of, oh, here's backstory that you can read if you want to. Yeah. You don't have to. Like, here's the ecological report of Dune and like a, a terrain map of the planet. If you want to look at it further. Yeah. And there's a, a term glossary, too. Right. And it's, like, it's a, it's a lengthy read, so it lends itself more. In the same way that, like, I think The Dark Tower wouldn't didn't work as a movie because you need a longer, like, you need a longer place to tell that story. A bigger stage to, mm-hmm. to do it on. I don't think that, I think that Dune, this is good, but I think that had they done it as a miniseries, it would have been... Uh, better received. I don't yeah. know how audiences are receiving this, and I don't use social media, but like, I don't know how audiences are looking at this and how much they're liking it, and I don't know what um, what the rece- I know critics love it. The Dune subreddit loves it. Well, that's that's a biased source. <laughs> it's like, well, the fans like it. It's like, yeah, it's like it's, it's like when you see the trailer for Venom, and it's like, here's what people on Twitter say, and it's like we cherry picked a bunch of people on Twitter for this. Um, well, a lot of them despise the David Lynch one, so it was interesting to, to see. Well, this this hones closer to the book than the yeah, uh, definitely capturing like does. the at- atmosphere of the of the right. book. Um, I think that um, yeah, I think I don't know. I, I mean, if you haven't gotten it already from 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 this lengthy discussion, you definitely need to see this movie if you haven't seen it already. Um, and vi- like I think that this is the first movie that I've seen in theaters uh, since I've started going back to the movies. Um, in like not post pandemic, but living with the pandemic world, where I felt that this is a movie that had I not seen it in theaters, I would have missed something. I agree. I saw it in IMAX. 
Um, and I did too. The sound, like besides the being seeing it on a bigger screen, the sound design I think is worth it to see in a big theater because it, it was very loud and it was very fun to sit in a giant like hear everything that loudly. I, I think the movie is mixed to be heard in a theater. Yeah. And like when when you like especially for things like uh when Paul or Jessica use voice. That sounds really the cool. Way that's mixed when they do uh like when they're on Salunda Secundas and they, they have those weird like noises. The like, deep voice guys like yeah. chanting and stuff, yeah. Yeah, like those things I, I did it there and then last night when I watched it, I watched it on my phone. Um <laughs> it does not translate when you're using a twenty dollar pair of Walmart earbuds to watch the movie compared to watching it on a big screen. Yeah, and especially for a movie that, like, long, and you have all these really big, wide shots, too, yeah, that and it probably looks kind of like, weird on a small screen. It does. Um, and I think that the other thing that this movie, seeing it in theaters, would help is the fact that it forces you to pay attention. Yeah, you do need to be paying attention, like, to, I think, Get the full scope of what's going on. Because like, there's a, I, a lot of dialogue. At home and watched them on on the screen uh, in the theater, and it's like at home, I'm definitely distracted. Yeah. Um, plus, when you go to the movies, you have to see a, tra- a bunch of trailers for movies that you haven't seen the trailers for. Um, so, like Moonfall, I saw a trailer for, and I was like, I forgot this was happening. Um. I, I wish I saw a trailer for that. I wish I didn't see it. I saw a bunch of bad trailers. It's 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 so great because it's like the entire trailer is just this giant effect shot of the moon hurtling towards Earth, and then it says at the end, directed by Roland Emmerich, and I'm like, I'm so in for this movie. Did he direct the the weather one? I think he just produced it. I think that was uh, the guy who did Independence Day. Independence Day two, not Independence. Oh, okay. That, yeah, didn't he didn't roll on that Merc do the Independence yeah, Day. Yeah, he did Independence Day, but he didn't do Independence Day, too. It's, it's like, it's one of his partners who is, like, he he partners with a lot who did um, Geostorm. But Geostorm was still pretty good. I enjoyed it. It was interesting. I think it was better than Resurgence, and Resurgence I liked a lot. I never saw Resurgence. Independence My... Day Resurgence. That's Independence oh, Day. Oh, yeah, okay, no, I did see it. It was not good. I, I Look, when we get to the third act, and they're chasing around this, like, the school giant... Bus. Yeah, they're in a school bus, and they're chasing around the queen alien who has its own personal shield. I'm like, this is exactly the level of ridiculous I'm looking for in this movie. So I was like, all right, I'm along for this ride at this point. I think my favorite Roland Emmerich movie is The Patriot. Oh, yeah, he did do The Patriot. Then John Williams does the music for The Patriot. I did not know that. It's very, it's extremely dark. It deals it's surprising how dark that movie is. Did you know that, um, what was, uh, there was another Roland Emmerich, like, I, I can't believe it, what was Roland, do you know what Roland Emmerich's last movie was? No, I thought it was, uh, directed his last movie? Directed. His I have no idea. Uh, Midway. About, is it, the, is it a World War Two movie? Yes, about the Battle of Midway. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that came out. Yeah, that came out, I want to say, la- no, it came out two years ago, because it came out the same year as Dunkirk. Or the year after, no, it came out in 2019, the same year as 1917, and it got swallowed up by 1917. Oh, okay. Which is far better. 
Yeah, I saw that. That was nineteen seventeen. Was one of the last movies I saw in theaters before COVID. I think I saw Onward in theaters with my last movie I saw before COVID, which was the Pixar movie with Chris Pratt and Tom Holland as the the, the oh the, the trolls, trolls right? It's yeah. like the was that good? It was fine. Um, I didn't. I went into that movie expecting to cry at that movie. Because, like, there are certain movies that you you can go to and you're like, this is going to catch me emotionally. Like, mm-hmm. for me, like, I think we talked about with Christopher Robin. Like, that was a movie that I'm like, this is a movie that's going to be about a guy who had these toys as a kid. And he's going to have to come back and have one last adventure with them and say goodbye to them one last time. And I'm like, I know that that's going to kill me emotionally. <laughs> Just, I, I, I was, and, and then it didn't happen, so I was okay. But, like, Onward... It's real. It's heartfelt and it's cute and it's like it's a cool concept, but like you know, it's on Disney Plus now. So it's like if you if you really want to see how good it is, it's fine. I thought it was better than Luca. Luca sucked. I hated Luca. Uh, Luca is also Italian whitewashing. Yeah, there are no Italian people playing Italians in that in that movie. Yeah, I was really mad that the New York Times took my joke title for the uh, for the review. Um. Calamari by your name, because <laughs> the movie is "Call Me by Your Name" but with fish people. Yeah, so I was very annoyed. I had that idea as I was watching it. I looked it up, like who did this already? And it's the New York Times did it. I'm like, fuck you. Um, I was supposed to be see Bloodshot in theaters uh, right before the pandemic, but the day I was supposed to see it um, was the day they closed down theaters. Oh yeah, I, f- I completely forgot about that movie. Yeah, the Vin Diesel uh, Vertigo or not Vertigo? Maybe it was Vertigo. Um, Valiant, Valiant, not Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that nonsense. I still haven't seen it. Um, I don't think anyone has. Well, no, it's out on DVD, and you can get it on some streaming service. But oh, I just meant it was not a hit. I'm pretty no, sure. it was not. <laughs> it wasn't good either, from what I heard. It wasn't something that would like rush out to theaters to see this fucking movie. Um, what else have you seen recently besides Doom? Let's do a, a quick little wrap up of other movies that you've um, seen recently. Malignant, might have. I think it might have been I the other. Malignant. Yeah, I didn't realize how like uh, much people hate. It's uh, very divisive. Like people either. I, I don't understand why it was so hated. Like it was solid enough. Like. Yeah, I, I think it was nice going into it. I actually thought it was going to be a haunted house movie, so mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting to see what it became. And I, didn't I, know what I, I expected it. To I be. liked it. It was crazy. Like I think that like the mistake, the the biggest mistake in the movie is showing uh, Gabriel in the beginning. Yeah, actually, I like the cold. The thing open, I, was, I think is the big mistake. The thing I was most confused about that I still am is how he had um, electricity powers. Yeah, they don't really explain because it. it's <laughs> like if it was just like you know this kid like that this poor girl has another evil version like an evil twin who's like fused to her body like there's no superpower in that. Yeah, and then he also can't talk but can speak through electricity. Yeah, I, I think that was a like uh, had they cut that cold open. It's like when I did the review, I said it reminded me of there's an episode of Frasier. <laughs> um, where there's a great joke that they do the entire episode based on, but they ruin it in the cold open. 
because they they spoil it. Where it's like the opening is uh, young Fraser and Niles at this ha- vacation house, and they're talking about putting on a presentation of Hamlet because they're Fraser and Niles, and that's what they do when they're on vacation. Um, so they they do all of that. Then they get to the uh, it's years later, present day in the show, and um, Fraser and Niles find out that the house is being torn down or being sold or something. So they go up there for one last weekend. And they're going through the, um, what's it called? They're going through the house, and they find under the floorboards a skull. Oh. Oh, yeah, so then you know it's just from when they did yeah. Hamlet. so we know it's from that, but it's like, they're going through, it's like, what could it be? What could it be? What could it be? And then at the end of the episode, they find the fake playbill they made from that presentation of Hamlet. And that joke would have landed better if we didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but like, it's the same thing there where it's like, Gabriel, if we don't know that Gabriel's a thing that actually existed, like it plays better. Yeah. Cause they set it up where it, it does seem almost like supernatural when yeah, it, or hits. it could be something in her head. And it's like, at one point I'm thinking like, Oh, maybe she's just got like split personality. Yeah. It's like that could have played a little bit differently, I think. Um, Suicide Squad we talked about. Uh, oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah. Um, Snyder Cut? I like that. I actually enjoyed the Snyder Cut. Yeah, I, I thought it was But I, I have, like, no motivation to watch it again. Yeah, I think it was better than the theatrical, but, like, that's, like, you know stepping over the bar like you don't have to do any leap or bound to get over that bar yeah um they did cut my favorite line from the movie because apparently that was a whedon line was it a joke um actually it's two lines and they're both in the third act um one is batman talking to the flash and the flash is like i don't know what to do because like this version of the flash it's his first day and batman has his just go out there and save one person that's all I need you to do is go out there and save one person. I did, that, I, I did like that part. That line is so great and it fits in perfectly with Batman's character. Um, and then the other line they cut, it's cheesy. I know a lot of people hated this line. But when Superman shows up um, and he says, I'm a big fan of truth, but I'm also a big fan of justice and then punches Steppenwolf. <laughs> I know a lot of people hated that line, but I thought it was so funny. I liked when they chopped Steppenwolf's horn off. It was pretty brutal. Yeah, I, I, I could have done without the dark side of it all, but, like... Oh, like that early battle with the... Yeah, no, 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 not that, but, like, you know... Or when dark side... That's cool. Like, when it's... when At the end of the movie, I don't need dark side and Big Barda and, you know, all of that to show up. Because it's, like, it's gonna amount to nothing. It's, like, you know... Like... What this movie is following the trajectory of is broadly, not specifically, the same thing as Avengers to Infinity War. Where Darkseid is taking the role of Thanos. He wants a a weapon that's on Earth. That's oh, yeah. universe killing. So he sends his lackey to go do it. He sends Steppenwolf. Thanos sends Loki. And they, they go and have this battle. So now the next time he comes, it's going to be you know, I'll just do it myself next time. Why am yeah. I going to send this asshole if he's just going to end up dead? Um, so I think that 
you know, following that, we didn't need to see Darkseid there. If we see him early and then at the end of the movie, we see like, oh, Steppenwolf's dead. And then we get similar to the the, the post credit from Avengers where it's like, you know, to, to fight them is to court death. Um, I think that if we get that, that's fine. But there's too much Darkseid in the third act of the movie for me. Yeah, um, I, I understand that. Also, the self-righteousness, we've never done time travel in a superhero movie. And it's like, yeah, but what the Flash does is kind of the exact same thing as what Superman does in Superman the movie. Oh, yeah, like going backward. Yeah, to, to undo some bad thing that happened. It's like, yeah, the, you know the movie that Snyder fans hate? That that That's what he does here. Oh, do they hate like, it because it's like too happy? Yeah. That's not dark enough. Yeah, it's that and the fact that people are like, can we just have a Superman movie that's, like, uplifting because, like, that's who Superman is, like... Yeah, like, you have, like, you can have Batman to be the weird one. Yeah, I, I don't need Superman to be grousing all over the place, like, upset, and, so... And snapping people's necks. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I, I think that, like, the... Like, that was a big thing. It's like, well, this is the exact same third act as that. Like, it, it happens the same way, where it's like he turns back time to do what he wants. And, um... Also, it doubled down on my problem with the Joker being alive in this universe. That was wild. The like, <laughs> we live in a, that, and that wasn't even the movie. The we live yeah, in a society. Live in this, yeah, it wasn't even that that bothered me. But like, I think I've voiced my concern. I don't know if I ever told you my issue with why with the Joker. It's that in this world, this Batman could be pushed to a breaking point where homicide is an option. Yeah, he literally tries to kill Superman. Yeah, they had they had one disagreement, <laughs> right? And it's like I under like I can understand that. At the same time, the guy who murders your adopted son should not be alive. Yeah, like and well, I guess it's like I guess because the Joker wants him to kill him, then maybe that's why too. I don't know. It still feels and then it's like the Joker's there and he's like mocking him, he's like I killed Robin, ha ha ha, and it's like, okay, well, why is he still alive now? Like, yeah, because like if if I'm to believe that this that this Batman can be pushed to homicide, then I don't think that the Joker should still be alive. Yeah, it is. weird. It's like he just wanted to put the Joker in it at yeah. like one of the weirdest points in the movie. Well, I think even there, I think that like even for Suicide Squad, he shouldn't have been there then. Yeah. And the Jared Leto Joker is not the best portrayal of the Joker. I didn't if it was better acted I wouldn't mind what they did with it where he was like a crime boss and that kind of like, I like that aspect of it because it reminds me of like the Cesar Romero yeah I think I'm fine with that too like Jack Nicholson I like as well where he's like yeah, a gangster like, I don't need just like anarchist like I understand the anarchist aspect of it and I understand that that's a thing now because it's in vogue but like I can do with just a crime boss yeah, I I, I like, agree with that part too. It's just Jared Leto did it very annoyingly. Yeah. Um, did you like the Batman trailer? I liked it more when I saw it in theaters. Yeah, I saw it before um, before Dune. I saw it. Yeah, same. Um, and I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it it could be good. I'm not optimistic about any of DC's upcoming movies except for Black Adam. Um, and Shazam. Even the Flash, I'm not optimistic about. Which is big because you know I'm a Flash fan. Yeah, I didn't see any other ones because I usually don't, except when I'm seeing them in the movie theater, I don't like watching trailers. But no, I think trailers Flash now one, reveal too much. 
it wasn't really a trailer. It was like a it was like a, a, a teaser. teaser more than anything else that they had because it's like they wrapped production on the movie the day after Fandom. Oh, okay. So it was just like a small bit of footage, and it's like they showed like uh, him in the Batcave, like a back shot of Keaton in the back. Oh suit. yeah, I forgot. Yeah, that's why I'm not optimistic about this movie. I don't need Keaton in this movie. I like, I just want a Flash movie. Yeah, because then it's basically like half Batman movie. Then yeah, because it's like Keaton's in this movie, Affleck's in this movie. Um, there's a new Supergirl in this movie. There are two Flashes in this movie. That would be fun. Like in the trailer, they show like the big shot that's not like the Batmobile under the blanket. Is um, it's a shot of Barry in the front. And it's like Snyder cut Barry. Then um, behind him on his right is Supergirl, not CW Supergirl, uh, the new Supergirl who doesn't have the stage presence to be a Kryptonian, I don't think, um, Mm -hmm. based on this one shot. And on his left behind him is another Barry who's wearing a bat suit that's been spray painted red with the Flash logo on it. Oh, okay. Um, so I think he could be Red Death, and that could be the bad guy of this movie, but I don't think that's a good idea, but, um, yeah, like, you get what I'm saying about the, the stage presence for the Kryptonian, like, when you see, like, Henry Cavill, or, uh, Melissa Benoist, or even, like, Helen Slater in the 84 Supergirl movie, or anything like that, then Michael always, Shannon. like, yeah, there's always, like, a, a confidence to them. Yeah, they, they feel very big, like, yeah, like, like, even if they aren't, they feel, like, like they exude strength. She doesn't really have that. And that could just be weird footage from this one trailer. But like, there's a certain confidence that comes along with being a member of that family to an extent that like is constantly exuded, even when they don't feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, like think of like any iteration of Superman or any iteration of Supergirl or Zod or, you know, anyone else or like Zor-El or, or even like Cameron Cuff on Krypton. Um, on, on sci-fi, like always have this, like, there's always this, like almost misplaced confidence. Uh, and I don't think she has that. Um, but we who's directing it? The Flash uh, it is the guy who did, uh, it. That's interesting. Because as we know, Walter Hamada came from Warner Brothers horror division. Um, Walter Hamad is the current head of DC Films. He came from their horror division, and he's been cherry picking their horror directors to do their um, to do their superhero movies. Mm, so to, I guess try to make them more dark. I think it's more they know how to do spectacle on a smaller budget. Oh, okay, that actually is a good point. Because, like, if you think about, it, like, The Conjuring was James Wan, and yeah, then he did Aquaman, and Aquaman was really good it was a lot of movie but it was really good yeah they just they should have just cut out one of the plot points yeah um and it's like if you look at like you know like that was him uh zach snyder even is a horror director like he got his oh yeah the zombie movies yeah he did um night of the living dead or dawn of the dead he did one of those he did of the dead something um was his first movie with a remake. Yeah, I think Dawn of the Dead, the the one in the mall. Yes. Uh he did uh uh um and then uh this guy did it. 
Uh, I think that they were courting Mike Flanagan for a little bit for a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, David Sandberg, who does Shazam, is a horror director. Uh, oh, yeah, where parts of Shazam were like kind of scary. Yeah, and, like the scene where they, you know, kind of homage Dogma. Mm-hmm. With the uh, oh the yeah, I scene. Even... Yeah. yeah, I said that when I saw it. I turned to Sean, who was with me, my brother. I said, "This, this, this is like Dogma." And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it's a dogma. <laughs> it's like, but like that whole, it's like when, uh, when Ben and, uh, when Matt go to the, uh, what's it called? Go to the, uh, the, the, the movie's headquarters and they're talking in that conference room and they kill everyone. That's when Savannah goes back, uh, when he's got the, the, uh, the seven deadly sins and he kills everyone in the room. I'm talking about how, how shitty everyone is. Yeah. Um, and it's like that. Yeah, the, the, everything with that was cool. I'm looking forward to the next one. They're doing um, the muses. It looks like, like Calypso is a bad guy, and there's a few other um, of them. Um, not the Fates, which is who I thought they were doing, because DC likes to fuck around with the Fates a lot. Oh yeah, I know almost nothing about the either comic world. Yeah, DC builds a lot from Greek mythology, especially if you read, like, Sandman. That's surprising. Sandman seems yeah. crazy. I have, there's it's so much really in it. Good. Yeah, it's kind of like Neil Gaiman was given access to do whatever he wanted, and he mm-hmm. did whatever he wanted. Yeah. Like, one issue is just him hanging around with death. One issue is him traveling through time uh, and, like, visiting this guy who gets uh, who he made a bet with, and every hundred years he goes and visits him. Uh, one is this girl who got like um an accident happened and her body is falling apart, uh, and it's made of partially metal, um, and it's like it's all like one he's a, like you visit a um a dream god from uh from uh, African civilization, um the story of Cain and Abel is in it at one point. <laughs> um, that is Cain and Abel are characters, and it's like in the dreaming. And he sends out whenever he needs something done, and he needs to send the message. He sends out Cain because of mm-hmm. the mark of Cain, where anyone who he's he's doomed to walk the earth for life, and anyone who kills him will be cursed by God. Well, so he sends out Cain as his messenger because no one will kill Cain. Yeah, especially if he needs to talk to Lucifer, he sends Cain out first. At one point, and he's like. You're not gonna kill me, are you? He's like, no, because I don't want I don't want God to be any more pissed off at me than he already is. Do you know that the Mormons say that Bigfoot is Cain? I could see that because it's forced to walk the earth forever. That sounds like a movie idea. I guess that. I'm surprised, that that, I'm surprised no one's done a Cain movie yet. Um, yeah, like the after he kills Abel. Yeah, like the the man who's cursed to walk the earth, and and That's, you know just forever. In the movie Year One with Jack Black, they stumble upon Cain and Abel. I think more of like a uh, what's it called, like more of a, a dramatic take. Oh, okay. <laughs> more than uh, who was it? Like Jack Black and wasn't it um, Michael Sarah? I think. Yeah, Michael Sarah wasn't. I keep on saying Jesse Eisenberg because I look alike. Yeah, especially um, at that time, they're pretty similar. Yeah, like I, yeah, I think that was a uh, that that that's something that's right. Oh, the listener question. Oh yeah, the last thing, 
the listener question. It's Dune related tangentially. What science fiction anything should Denis Villeneuve do after Dune? Oh, uh, I would say um, the continue the Space Odyssey series. Did they do three thousand? I know they did two. No, they've only done two thousand and ten. Right, and then the next one is two thousand and sixty-one, and then the last one is three thousand and one. That's an interesting one. Um, because they're, the stories are separate enough where you could do 2061 as its own movie. Or you, I guess he could redo 2001. I don't think anyone will touch it. I think that... That's true. Anyone, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I can see the headlines now of if someone tries to... Re- like, there are certain movies that I don't think you can remake. I think, like, that, The Godfather... Um, if anyone tried to remake Blade Runner, uh, that would not be oh, yeah. well received. Or if, like, Lucasfilm announced, we're remaking A New Hope. Um, <laughs> I, I, could, I could see the, the torches and pitchforks are being sharpened for that already. Um, like, I think that that would not be well received. Um, I would say, I think that he always does, like, he, I think he's the best science fiction director active right now. I would say, yeah, I would agree. Um, if he's not doing a franchise, I would, like, if I'm doing a franchise, I would say Star Trek. Because Star Trek's always been deeply philosophical and, and speculative in a way that Star Wars isn't. And it's supposed to be more of a slow burn, too. Yeah, and I think that that would be his speed. But I would like him to repair, more than anything, with um, Ted Chiang. Um, in Exhalation, there are two shorts in there um, that I think would be perfect for him. Uh, the first being dizziness is the something of anxiety. I forgot what the name of the thing is, but it's about uh, it's an alternate world where um, there are these crystal things that you can buy, and you can see the path you didn't take from a decision. Oh, okay. So it's like where alternate it, like, universe. Yeah, like you create a safe state. I'm making a decision here, and then like that. So what happens in this is someone, um, the celebrity, had a car accident. And his partner died in the car accident. So the story is about these two people who are tr- uh, on either side of this dimensional gap who are trying to get these two crystals together so that way these two can be reunited and see each other. Oh, that's interesting. Um, that's one of them. And the other one is the life cycles of software objects, which is basically like, what if Neopets had personalities and, you know, like were bigger than what they were. And then what are the ethics that go along with creating a virtual creature like this as a software developer? And then how do we like, do I need to keep this up? Am I now required, like as the developer, am I required to keep up software updates, keep these things running? Like, and then like the role of the fan community, um, in doing that. Mm -hmm. And like, what rights do these things have? I could also see him maybe just going... Because Dune is almost like a half-fantasy movie, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's true. And maybe just going into so many fantasy books and having a new like fantasy epic would be fun as well. Yeah, if he did, like... Shin, like There was that one that was on MTV, Shenaria. I don't big. think I know that. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big fantasy series, but it got adapted to television... Uh, by MTV 
the year after Game of Thrones came out. Oh, okay. So, so no you can really... see the connection of where that came from. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, think like, um, Joe Abercrombie, uh, he's a really good fantasy author and, uh, he tends to write shorter, like he writes trilogies. So then you could see an end point. It's not like wheel of time where there's 14 books. It just perpetually goes on and on and on. And each book is 800 pages and there's like 300 something characters that are all important. Yeah, that would be, uh, yeah, that'd be a lot for something like, like, that's more for a, a series. The other thing he could do is, like, Orson Scott Card. Like, Ender's mm. Game had that adaptation a few years back that wasn't great. Yeah. With Harrison Ford and the kid who almost was Spider-Man. Um, and then hasn't done anything since. Um, like, he could do that, maybe. Um, but, like, he... I, I if if he's gonna do science fiction or fantasy or something, I want him to do something with a cultural impact mm-hmm. to an extent, or like a story where there's a sociological link to the real world where we can look at uh like some kind of deeper question. Yeah, know, I think he'd be really good at doing that kind of thing. Like anything that's not just, you know, surface level. Like I like, you know, the the Star Wars fan of me wants him to do Star Wars, but at the same time, it's like you know, like what's he going to bring to Star Wars that like Ryan Johnson didn't bring when he made mm-hmm. the Last Jedi, which is a visually beautiful movie. Like that was the thing when the reviews came out. Like a bunch of right wing news sources who did reviews had to like do a really dumb split up of the review to give it a poor rating because they couldn't say the movie's not technically good. Yeah, like because I like, like the the light speed, the light speed jump scene where yeah. it goes black and white. That looks really cool. Like everything on crate is beautiful. Yeah, like at the end of the movie when they're facing off against gorilla walkers, and it's like everything there is beautiful. Like the way that like I think even Luke's death, as divisive as it is, very well done. Yeah, um, and all of that's very beautiful. But like you know. You can't say that it's not good there, but, like, you know, you can disagree with the story aspects. So, like, they broke it up where it's, like, out of 40 points, and it's, like, they said visual, and then it was, like, um, audio, and then it was, like, character and story. <laughs> uh, all of them were out of 10, so out of 40, it got a 20. And it's, that's, like... That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, so it's, like, they went out of... Like, it's, it's that kind of thing where it's, like, what's he going to do to Star Wars that he hasn't... that we haven't already seen? And it's like, I don't think he mm-hmm. can bring anything speculative, but I don't think they want that. Yeah, I don't think he would do... Like, I think he would make a good Star Wars movie, but I don't think it would be that... Overall, compared to his other movies, be that good. Yeah, like, him and Chloe Zhao have both expressed interest in doing it. Like, like it's the kind of thing where, like, they get asked that by some asshole on a press junket, and they're like, would you do Star Wars? And it's like, like who, what director who's done science fiction is going to say no to that? Yeah, because it, it like, it's like really, he pr- film backs up the money truck when they sign you to direct one of their movies. Yeah, and you would kind of have some sort of probably template to work with too, right? And so work wise, probably wouldn't be too much, too intensive, right? And it's like, like they, they're they would definitely let you have your way with the material to an extent after Lord and Miller's debacle, like, mm-hmm. and the bad press that surrounded that. They would definitely not hire Villeneuve and then go. Well, we're going to make this movie, but it's going to be our movie. You can't really have your 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 flavor to it. Yeah. 
Like they would like they would definitely have to have him let him have his way. Um but we'll wrap up there because I do need to go because I need to see um the last duel today. The oh, newest yeah. uh, Ridley Scott, Ridley right? Scott. Yeah. One of what two an interesting Oscar- director. Yeah, like, and he's uh, got a second movie coming out this year too. Where he makes these big science fiction movies or these period pieces. Yeah, he's got House of Gucci coming too this year. He directed both. Yeah, his movies are like I thought that one about the with Mark Wahlberg and what the kidnapping was very bad. Which one's that? That's one where Kevin Spacey was recast with Christopher Plummer. Oh, oh yeah, he did do that. All the money in the it world. Was, yeah, that was not good. I forgot about that. I forgot he did that one too. But yeah, he did. He did that. And then House of Gucci looks really good. I think one of these days, Lady Gaga's going to win an Academy Award. Mm-hmm. Um, same with uh, I think Adam Driver too. Um, I could definitely see, Academy. yeah, Adam Driver for sure. Because he's done a lot of really good. Like he was great in Marriage Story. Um, like it's not a deep role, but he was great in it. Um. But yeah, we'll wrap up there for today. Uh, we will be back. Well, I'll be back later this week with um, I have that. I and then uh, last night in Soho, also later this week, um, Wednesday, and then I think Eternals is the next big movie that people give a fuck about. That isn't like some Oscar bait movie that I'm going to see and subject everyone to. Um, so yeah, so we'll be back with that later this week.